If you are new around here, or if you're just joining us for the first time or the first time in a while, uh, we just wrapped up a six-week series, and today we're kind of in between. We're going to launch into some new stuff beginning next week, but today I wanted to just kind of pause. I just want to today take a moment to sort of pull the curtain back and, and talk about my heart for, for our church as we head into this new season. It is an exciting season that we're in, completing construction Maybe for you, it hasn't seemed like uh, that long. For me, it's felt like an eternity. And uh, there's been a ton of work behind the scenes, uh, but through a whole bunch of amazing volunteers, we've managed to turn the place around and make it uh, pretty presentable on the weekend throughout the process. Um, But we're still glad to be wrapping up here. And as I've been saying, as we've gone through this process, you know, building this facility, making the facility nice isn't just about us having a nicer place to hang out with each other. What I feel like God is doing in allowing us to complete this space is really strategically positioning us to better reach our community and to better reach our world. We know that environment makes a big difference when people come for the first time. And so we're, we're excited to have a facility that's going to do that. And as excited as I am, ladies, for you that you have new restrooms over there, um, I'm really excited about that kid's wing. And just the opportunity as we expand back there and add all these classrooms to be able to really invest into the next generation and see kids and youth um, just continue to be discipled and move towards Jesus. I'm super excited about that. And so what I want to really talk about today is something that I think could be a danger for our church going forward. And here's what that is. The natural pull, the gravitational force, if, if we just drift with the current, the natural pull for any church over time is to, to quit being focused on those outside and start being more focused on those inside. Uh, the natural pull and gravitational force for a church is to create systems and structure and sort of a, a country club mentality and then rules and, and things that make it hard for people, for newcomers to come and connect to Jesus. And I don't want to see us go there. And so to help us talk about this today, I want to look at a passage in Acts that addresses a major danger, the first major danger that the early church encountered as the gospel spread around the world. And actually, we think of it, we think of the early church and we think of that as persecution, but actually persecution just made the church grow more. This danger was something from the inside, and it was the temptation to drift towards an insider focus. It was the temptation to have a move towards rules and traditions that make it hard for people to connect with Jesus. And so before we get to the scripture, if you want to start turning there, it's going to be in Acts 15. It's going to take us a while to get there, because I want to set up some of the background of the story. Just a short time after Jesus' death and resurrection, He gathers his closest followers together, and he gives them a commission. It's the marching orders for his new movement. It's the same commission that we participate in here 2,000 years later. He says, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. So go, or literally as you go, I want you to make disciples which is what we're about here, making followers of Jesus, encouraging you to become a follower of Jesus or to become a better follower of Jesus. 
And then a short time later, actually on the, on the uh, same day uh, that he would ascend back to heaven, he again gathers his closest followers, his disciples together, the apostles. And he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. Jerusalem's home base, right? Judea, that's the, the region that they're in. And Samaria, that's the little district next door. They're not so fond of Samaritans, so they're not so sure about that. And then he says, and to the uttermost ends of the earth, this is your call. After the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power and you're going to go out everywhere and tell people about me. And so right after that, Jesus ascends right in front of their eyes and they're just standing there looking up going, where'd he go? And they're kind of looking around the cows like, is he going to come back down? Where is he? And in the middle of all that, and a couple angels have to show up and go, um, guys, you know, he's not coming back right now, but he will come back just as he said, he'll come back. But now you have a job to do. He gave you a commission, so you better get to it. And so they do. They go back. The Holy Spirit comes and these guys who were, who were fearful and ran away just weeks before this work transformed into amazing witnesses for two reasons. Number one, because they saw their crucified Savior and friend risen from the dead. They hung out with him. They had breakfast with him. And then they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and be witnesses to the nations. And so they, the, the early Jesus movement launched with a very simple message as they preached to the people, and it was basically, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. You killed him. God raised him from the dead, so say you're sorry. Well, I added that part. But it was repent, right? Turn around, repent, and turn to him. Admit you're wrong. Put your faith and trust in him. And because of all the eyewitnesses to the resurrection, this movement spread like wildfire. In one month, five to 10,000 people embraced this message. The city was going crazy, and this really bugged the early religious leaders, the Jewish religious authorities, because they were the ones that put Jesus to death. And now the message is spreading like wildfire. And so they have two of the key apostles, Peter and John, hauled in, and they question them and grilled them. And Peter, the guy who just weeks before denied Jesus three times to a young girl because he was so afraid. He stares down the actual guys that put Jesus to death, that were responsible for Jesus' death. And he tells him this. He said, he was the Messiah. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And then he says this amazing thing as he stares these guys down. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That Jesus is the only way. Incidentally, this is why we started a church, because we really believe what Jesus said when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father. We really believe it when he said, like you know in the famous verse, John 3, 16, that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And what Peter said when he said, salvation is found in no one else. And so the authorities had the apostles beaten and threatened them, warned them to be quiet, but it didn't work. It just made them all the more bold. And, and this message just kept growing. People just keep coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus. And so pretty soon a full-scale persecution breaks out 
against the followers of Jesus. And followers of Jesus scatter all over to, to get away from persecution. Of course, everywhere they go, they bring this message about the risen Jesus. And this persecution goes on for three years. And towards the end of this, something amazing happens. The, the primary, most vehement, violent persecutor of the early church meets Jesus. His name is Saul. And you know him as Paul. Saul's his Hebrew name. Paul's his Greek name. The Apostle Paul. And he meets Jesus in this incredible way. His life is transformed. And Jesus gives him a commission and says, you're going to suffer a lot. You're going to be my apostle to the Gentiles. And then Paul drops out of the story for about 10 years. He's at, God brings him out to a season of preparation in the desert. And during that time, during that time, the church keeps growing, but it's almost exclusively, well, it's exclusively a Jewish thing. In fact, it was seen as just kind of a knockoff sect of Judaism at the beginning. They were known as the way. And they thought this is something, obviously Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, so this is something for Jewish people. When Jesus had said the uttermost ends of the earth and all the Old Testament scriptures, Israel, in fact, was meant to be a light to the nations. And they just, you know, they were hanging out in Jerusalem. They were in these other areas. And lots of people were coming to Jesus. But it took an amazing experience for them to understand how big the gospel was meant to be. And Peter, as he's praying one day, you know, Peter, one of the key disciples, he's praying. And God has to give him a vision. Three times he sees a vision of this giant sheet coming down with all these foods that good Jewish boys would not eat. You know, you had some, some bacon cheeseburgers on there, maybe some snakes and lizards. Um, you know, all those icky things. That, in fact, Peter says, no way, because the vision says, take and eat. And Peter's like, I don't think so. Nothing, I've never, not ever had anything that defiles me like that. And God said, hey, what I've made clean, don't call unclean. And took this vision three times. Then he tells him kind of the bigger meta picture behind this vision. And the bigger meta picture is, hey, it's, I want you to go to the Gentiles. In fact, I had to show you this so you understand. There's three guys waiting for you. You go down, go with them, and they're going to go to the house of a Gentile, and you preach Jesus to him. And so Peter goes, and he shows up in this house and you probably shouldn't do this if somebody invites you over. It's kind of rude. But the first thing he says is, I shouldn't be here with all you icky Gentiles. He like walks in the room. He's like, ooh, Gentile cuties everywhere, right? Because at the, at the time, the Jewish people, because they wanted to stay separate, it was actually out of a good motivation. The good motivation was to stay set apart, to, to stay faithful to God, to keep their national and, and religious identity. And so they wouldn't even eat with people who weren't part of their group. And so this was a big deal for him. He walks in and says, hey, guys, I, I shouldn't be here. I'd be in big trouble for showing up. But it took this amazing vision. So why am I here? And, and the guy goes, well, because God gave me a vision. says, go get you because you have a message for, for us. And so Peter preaches about Jesus. They believe in Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit falls on them in a powerful way as well. And Peter's mind is blown. And he goes back and tells the other uh, apostles. And they're like, ooh, you went to the Gentiles? Get away, cooties, right? But then he tells them what the Spirit did when they believed. And, and the other apostles are like, wow, maybe, I guess this thing is for Gentiles too. And so after this, Gentiles just start coming to Jesus left and right. 
especially a lot of them up in this community of Antioch in modern-day Turkey. And um, they just start coming to Jesus, and Barnabas, one of the uh, disciples at the time, goes, hey, man, what do we do? How do we disciple these people? And somebody says, hey, go find Paul. And so Barnabas gets Paul. And brings them up. And they begin pouring their lives into this community of new believers, Jews and Gentiles together in Antioch. Which incidentally is where um, followers of Jesus first became known as Christians. And it was kind of a derogatory term at first. But it was kind of like one of those nicknames that you hated in in grade school. But then it kind of stuck, you know, and you're like, all right, I'm going to be shorty for life, you know. And you're okay with it. That's how we got our names, Christians, as followers of Jesus. First became known in Antioch. And so after this, Paul and Barnabas go out on their first missionary journey as as the Holy Spirit sends them out. And Gentiles all over the Mediterranean rim as they plant churches are coming to Jesus. And the primary message, Paul takes the, the message of Jesus and boils it down to for what it means for Gentiles. That you need to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, trust in him by faith. And you receive eternal life. And it's this incredibly powerful message. People are coming to Jesus left and right. Meanwhile, though, back in Jerusalem, there's a big controversy brewing. There's a lot of argument going on. The first major controversy we see in the early church is a controversy that actually, over the history of the church, has come up over and over again. And it's this move towards an insider focus, this move towards exclusivity, This tendency to create barriers and rules beyond God's intention that end up making it hard for people to connect to Jesus. It's very possibly, if you're here kind of just coming back, connecting with God, church, and the Bible, and and investigating, it's very possibly part of the reason you or maybe a friend or a family member was turned off to church at some point. The controversy was all about how how good does a person have to be in order to, to be part of the church. Who is the church for? Who is this gathering for? This assembly or movement. The ecclesia, Greek word. Church doesn't mean building. We like buildings. Buildings are great to meet in. But the church is all about people. A gathering, a movement, assembly. And so after Paul gets back from his first missionary journey, he gets word of this controversy. And and even worse, he gets word of these other missionaries, these Jewish people who also believed in Jesus that started following him around and going to all these little communities after he had left. And their basic message was, hey, it's great Paul came and told you about Jesus. So glad you you, you trusted in Jesus. We trust in Jesus too. But Paul kind of left out some really important details. He didn't give you the whole story. And that brings us to Acts chapter 15. And it says this in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Hey, it's, it's great that, you know, that Paul told you all about Jesus, but, you know, he left a bunch of really important things out that, you know, basically, you know, guys, it starts with a little surgery for you. Talk about one, talk about a good way to make your your, uh, church made up of all women, right? Very quickly, all the guys start backing towards the back door. I don't think so. But really what he's talking about is a conversion here. 
What they're saying is you got to convert to Judaism. See, it's been disruptive as all these Gentiles are coming in. They don't know how to dress. They don't know how to eat. They don't know how to act around Jewish people. And, but they've been wanting to come worship Jesus along with all these other Jewish people who worship Jesus. And it's been so disruptive, so messy. And so these people come in and basically say, well, here, before you can actually become a Christian, you need to convert and become a Jew. Verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem and to see the apostles and elders about this question. So they go down all the way. They visit these amazing little congregations and hear the amazing things of what God's doing in the lives of both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus. And they're just filled with joy as they head down. So they come in and they meet together with the key apostles and kind of have this council. We call it the Acts 15 Council. They get together to discuss this controversy and this question. It says this, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So here's the big question. Now, first off, you're like, Pharisees? Wait a minute. Weren't they the guys that Jesus was always criticizing? Yes. But a whole bunch of them trusted in Jesus after his resurrection. Because of all the eyewitness reports, they, they trusted Jesus. They put their faith in him. And actually, when you look at rabbinic teaching, uh, Pharisee, the Fer- group of the Pharisees, their theology actually lined up with Jesus the closest. He had a lot of criticisms about certain things. But th- there was a very common bond there. And so a lot of Pharisees trusted in Jesus. And these guys stand up because they're the religious elite. They're the best at the best at being Jewish. I mean, they know the scriptures by heart. They're better than anybody at this. And so they've taken all of that that they knew, added with the fact that now they believe Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and, and, and you know, it's faith in him. You got to trust in him. And they kind of packaged it all together. And so they say, guys, here's the thing. It's critical before these, I mean, obviously Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So it's critical that before these guys become Christians, they need to become good Jews. So they need to learn all the 613 Jewish laws in the Old Testament, plus all the oral traditions that came along with that. They better do that. And then, you know, I mean, Jewish children would spend years just learning this stuff, right? Right? It was a major lifestyle change. Oh, and then guys, yeah, there's a little surgery that goes along with that as well. And so at verse six, it says this, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Remember that whole story when the sheet came down, the crazy vision, all those icky animals, and then the Holy Spirit fell on these people that weren't even Jews? He goes on. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And all these Pharisees are over there thinking, he might have purified their hearts, but they are pretty icky. 
They got a lot of Gentile cuties. I mean, I don't want to be anywhere close to them. Verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke, a burden that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. He said, hey, we haven't even been very good at keeping the law. Come on, seriously, guys. We haven't even done that good of a job. And we've been studying it since we were knee high. And then he says, and besides, that's not how we're saved. That's not what we believe. We believe it's by grace, through faith, that we're saved. Us, in spite of keeping the law and being good Jewish people, that's not how we got saved. It's through grace. And grace means unmerited favor. And see, religion worldwide, what differentiates our faith from every other religious system worldwide is every other religious system is trying to figure out a way that I can earn my way into favor with God or the gods. And what sets our faith apart is this thing, you can't earn your way into favor with God. It's only through faith and trust that salvation is a free gift that you receive. And yes, then he transforms your life. And yes, you repent of your sins and turn to him. But even that is by his grace. It's by his grace. In verse 12, they went on. It said, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling them about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. They just go on, man, and God did this, and we saw these amazing miracles, and all these people turned to Jesus. Just amazing stories. And everybody's incredibly encouraged. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. Now, let me just take a bunny show. James, this would be the brother of Jesus. Let me just ask you a hypothetical question. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was God? I mean, if you have a brother, you're like, that's not happening, right? See, none of Jesus' siblings believed he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. James, the brother of Jesus, becomes one of the biggest leaders in his new movement. And he spoke up, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild. I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things things known from long ago. He said, our, our scriptures have been prophesying this for hundreds of years, that this was always God's heart and intention. This was the purpose of our people to be a light to the nations, to bring the message of the one true God to the nations. The worship of the one true God. Because it's happening. It's being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. How amazing. And he says this in verse 19, and this is so powerful. And I think if, if in certain times of church history, if the church had, had grabbed a hold of this statement, 
it could have avoided so much pain in people's lives. Here's what it said. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't make it hard for people to come to Jesus. He goes on. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. That's it. That's the list. 613 Jewish laws. And he goes, hey, uh, let's, these four things. And he picks four things that were a major um, issue around the Roman Empire and four things that would have been just so icky and disgusting to good Jewish people that there's no way they could fellowship with each other. Not food polluted by idols because that was such a big deal. It led the, the, the Jews, their history with idolatry and exile. This was a huge deal. The meat of strangled animals or, or animals not butchered correctly because Jews considered the blood uh, sacred. And then the, the morality standards of the law, and these came from Leviticus when it comes to sexual purity. You know, if we're going to be fellowshipping, having unity with the others, it's not cool to hit on my wife, right? It's not okay to go visit with all the cult practices that went on, temple prostitutes, things. Not okay to go there to do that. Sort of the bare minimum standards of what it would take for us to come together, fellowship together, have unity in Jesus. And he says, just let's write this down. Let's send it to him. And so they compose this amazing letter. He goes on, he says, For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest time, and it is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. See, this is all about unity. The point is inclusion. The point is, let's not make it hard. The point is the Gentiles are included into this. The point is we're, gonna, we're not going to just have an insider focus. We're going to have an outsider focus because that's the heart of the gospel, to spread to the nations, to go to all people. And so they write this beautiful letter and they send it off with the people back to Antioch. In verse 30, it says, so the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. You better believe they were, right? Especially the dudes in the room. They were just, it was a relief. There was not a huge burden. There was grace. And see, Jesus' commission was to take his message to the ends of the earth. And right here, in the early years of the church, the church avoided its first major danger. And that was locking the gospel down, keeping people out, becoming inward focused and making it hard for people to come to Jesus. And see, this is the tendency of every church. Every church has the tendency to move from being focused on outsiders to move towards being focused on insiders. To, to move from having this focus on those who are not yet here to just having this country club kind of mentality about those who are here. To lose its passion for reaching the world with the message of the gospel. 
And we want to avoid the tendency to be pulled to be pulled away from outsiders and just towards insiders. As we head into a new season in our church, as we complete all this, like we said, hey, this isn't just so we can hang out together in a nice place. This is so we can be strategically positioned to better reach our community and better reach our world. And so what I want to do is I want to take our remaining minutes here today, and I want to talk about some things that we are committed to doing as as a leadership team and, and as a church a congregation, things that we are committed to doing so that we can avoid this tendency to drift from an outside focus to an inside focus. And then I'm going to challenge you of two things that I I need you to do to help us in this process. And here's what we're going to do through through a great staff and through a lot of amazing volunteers. We're going to continue to work really hard at creating services where both longtime believers continue to learn and grow and be challenged, and where those brand new to God, church, and the Bible can connect and be encouraged to move towards Jesus. We, we have a phrase for this around here. We call it both and. That we are focused on, on remaining outside focused, on reaching people in the community. But I think it's a false dichotomy to say you have to either reach seekers or you have to disciple people. I think you can do both and and do it well. And that's what we're committed to. We want to encourage you, if you, like me, you grew up in church since you're here, we want to continually encourage you to move closer to Jesus because you have not arrived yet, nor have I. And, and continue to see you learn and grow. We're, we don't dumb down the message here because if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we, we think you're smart. We think you can think through these things. However, we're committed not to do our service in such a way that, that you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, are excluded or don't understand all the jargon we use around here because that's a big deal in a lot of churches. We want you to be able to come in and feel like you connect because really our heart is that you would continue to seek Jesus and move towards him. We want to work hard at teaching the Bible in practical, in a practical and engaging way. I love what the, um, the founder of Young Life said. It's a sin to bore kids with the gospel. Because it's the greatest message in the world. And I th- we think that scriptures can be taught and should be taught in a way that's just practical and engaging. So we make our effort to do that from our kids' classes all the way up here. That that's the goal. And we want to create services. We still, this is our heart, to create services where we experience God's presence with us in powerful ways, where we worship him with all our hearts and all that's in us. But at the same time, we're committing to not create an environment that just weirds people out. Some of you have experienced some of those services. Why? Because we want you to know that every weekend is a weekend where you can invite your friends and family. It's a great weekend. Every weekend is a good weekend to invite somebody to church. And God is in our midst, and so we're going to experience him in powerful ways. We don't have to make it weird. We're going to consistently and clearly present the gospel and give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And and we're going to continue to really invest in the next generation. Like I said, as, as cool as this is, what I'm really excited about is our kids and youth. And, you know, it's not so much the spaces for kids and youth. Spaces are, are nice. You know, it's nice to have more room. 
It's primarily the staff and volunteers. And we have an amazing staff and volunteers. And we're going to continue to grow in that. And some of you, God may be tapping you on the shoulder because you have a gifting. And he wants you to get involved in helping see the next generation equipped. And so we're going we're gonna to invest in that. We want to continue to create spaces for you to make great relationships with each other and to be encouraged and to grow. We call this genuine community around here. You know, most of the scriptures in the New Testament uh, that have to do with the way we relate to each other, um, it's the phrase over and over is one another, one another, one another. And it's pretty hard to one another when you're just sitting in rows. And so we, we work hard to create spaces. One of those spaces is our life groups, but we have a lot of other kind of venues too where you can begin to build deep relationships with people and grow in community. We want to help you find healing and encouragement for, for marriages, for things you struggle with. We've launched in partnership with other churches just this year a community-wide program called Life Steps. It's a recovery ministry. We're, we're prepping to launch a collaborative marriage ministry too in the coming year. We want to see you equipped and provide opportunities for you to make an impact way beyond the walls of this church. I, I believe passionately that if, if every one of us in the room just got to the things that God was placing on our hearts and quit pushing them aside and took the, the opportunities that the Holy Spirit says when he's prompting us to go and speak to that person or pray for that person or to go volunteer or serve there, I think it would change our community. And so we're, we're committed to helping equip you to get to those things, to give you opportunities to go on things like mission trips, to have opportunities to partner in our community. I, I make no secret, one of my goals is for every one of you at some point to go on a missions trip. One of the greatest ways to get involved is our annual Homes of Hope trip that's coming up here in March. We'll have more info rolling out, out on that soon. We, we just sent funds to plant, through your generosity, to plant four more churches in Myanmar, an unreached nation. That's going to happen in November. They're going to have a training. Over the course of the last um, year, that'll make, uh, let's see, I think 12 churches you guys have planted in an unreached village. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. And so we're committed to that. We're committed to reaching the nations. And so these are some things that we're committed to doing as a staff, as a leadership, as you get involved and volunteer. This is what we're committed to doing as a church family. But here's what I need you as an individual to commit to. Here's what I need you to do. First, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, man, we're so glad you're here. And I want to invite you just to keep, keep connecting. Keep hanging out. Ask questions. This is a place where you can ask questions. There's no dumb questions. Where you, where you can investigate Jesus. You don't have to believe everything we believe to belong here. We're just glad you're here seeking Jesus. Keep seeking him. Our hope and our prayer for you is at some point, you take that step of faith. You put your faith and trust in him. You give him your life and become a sold-out follower of Jesus. But we're just glad you're here connecting exploring him. This is a safe environment to do that. But for those that are followers of Jesus here, the first thing I, I really need you to do is this. I need you to show up at church for the sake of others. 
Show up at church for the sake of others. See, too many times in, in, in church circles, we've adopted a, a consumer mentality because that's the mentality of our culture. And so we pick a church because it meets our needs and you know, we, the teaching resonates or they, we, they've got a kid's program, our kids love it, those things. And those are all actually, those are fine reasons, right? But when you transfer that mentality into, I'm gonna come in and this is all about me and just me being fed, you're not coming to church with the mentality that you are here to seek others. You know what? We are the body of Christ. And so I need you to come, whether it's in this environment or when you come in small group environments, I need you to come with a heart and a mentality that I am here for other people. See, church isn't just about you. The point of community is somebody else needs you. Somebody else needs you to be praying for them, to be speaking into their life, to be supporting them. That today, the, the biggest, I'm going to look for people that maybe don't know anybody, doesn't look like anybody knows them, and I'm going to connect, and I'm going to be friendly. I used to say this all the time. Maybe I need to start again. If you've been here more than three weeks, you are officially a greeter. You don't need a name tag. You don't have to be at the front door. You're officially a greeter. Your job is to look for people who are not yet connected. You that are introverts, you do a good job at this too because you're a lot more sensitive to those that maybe aren't connecting. And I want to grow in this as a church. I know we've grown quickly, and so you, there's a lot of people you don't know. There's a lot of you I don't know yet. You're all a greeter. Your job is to look for people who are not connected and, and to listen to the Holy Spirit. And as he lays something on your heart, just a word of encouragement for somebody, that may mean more to them than anything I say up here. That may be the exact thing they need to hear that day. And the second thing I need you to do is this. I need you to pray and invite. Pray and invite. When we first started the church, we handed out these little cards that just people could put a name or two or three or four and take this home and pray for these people. And that was powerful. We haven't done that in a long time. But one of the primary ways you can, you can help us as a church keep from becoming insider focused is you can start praying for those in your life, your friends, your family, your coworkers, who maybe aren't connected to a church yet, who maybe don't know Jesus yet. You can start praying for them. Now, part of that is actually loving somebody, like Jesus says, right? Don't just like, look at people as projects. Everyone hates that, including you, right? Nobody wants just a project. But if you genuinely love somebody and you, you have a heart for them to meet Jesus, don't you? You have a heart for them to connect in a church family. Aren't you glad at some point that somebody invited you? Aren't you glad that, that somebody told you about Jesus? Aren't you glad maybe that your parents brought you as a child and you met Jesus and, and the things that God saved you from in life because of that relationship with him you're just so grateful for that, right? Well, that's the responsibility you have in loving those around you, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, is to be praying for them, that the Holy Spirit would begin drawing them, moving on their hearts. As you pray for them, here's what's going to happen, is you're going to be clued in to the, to the times when you know you're, you need to open your mouth. And you'll just know, I need to open my mouth. I need to invite. You know, it's not that hard just to invite somebody. In fact, it's an old statistic. I'm not sure if it's exact anymore, but the statistic was it takes about seven unique touches or unique 
invites or unique mentions to get somebody to check out a church for the first time. You be part of that, right? Why? Why do we do this? Why do I want you to pray and invite? Because we really believe what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father. We believe. The words that Peter said, there's salvation in no other name. We believe what Jesus said, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that anyone and everyone who believes in him puts their trust in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so as we close, I'm going to invite some volunteers to pass out some things that are going to help you remember this this week. And they're going to start up front here and uh, grab these. We thought hard and long and we invested in a tool that's going to help you remember this. And this tool is called a sticky note. <laughs> and so every one of you, as they pass these down the aisles, uh, just grab one, take it. If you lose it, I think you might be able to find one somewhere, you know, at home. Or... But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This should be pretty easy. Somewhere close to you in, the, in a seat pocket, there should be a pen. And all I want you to do is to jot down a name or two or three. Just people that God brings to your heart or mind in your life that you're going to commit to start praying for, that you're going to begin building relationship for, not as a project, because you really love them and you want them to know Jesus. And you're just going to start praying for them. And then when God prompts you, you're going to be bold and you're going to open your mouth and you're going to invite them. And so would you do that? Would you just write down a name or two or three? And let me just say, if you can't think, if no names come to your mind, then you need to hang out with some people who aren't just church people. I don't know, you need to do something. Start bowling or something, I don't know. Coach soccer, I don't know. Because this is our call and our commission and the best way our church can, can avoid becoming insider-focused and just about ourselves is as you invite family and friends. Because you're going to see church from a whole different viewpoint when you invite somebody who's, who's coming for the first time. And that's good. You're going to introduce me and our staff to, to people, and it's going to keep us focused on doing church in such a way, not just that you are encouraged and grow as believers in Jesus. We want to do that, and we're committed to doing that but to help us remain a church that's focused on those who are not yet here, those who are yet to come. And so would you stand? Father, I just want to say thank you so much for everyone here. Lord, as we enter this new season in our church life where we get to take a deep breath from all this construction and move into the next things you're calling us to, I just pray that you would just help us stay focused on those yet to come. That we would be a people who pray and invite, that we would be a people who show up to church for others, looking for how we might encourage, pray for, speak into their lives, Lord. That we would really be what you meant the body of Christ to be. And individually for each person here, that you would give them a passion to see those in their life reached with the good news of the gospel, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.
Amen.